O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the things that I love most about living in our neighborhood here, Fondren, is that on our family walks, we get to see all the great bumper stickers that populate this neighborhood. Uh, There's a diversity of opinion in the neighborhood, and it's expressed through a diversity of bumper stickers. Of course, your various politicians and political parties uh, enjoy seeing how far back some people go. You know, Dukakis, 88, you know, a lot of old bumper stickers back there. Uh, of course, there's the uh, ubiquitous Keep Fondren Funky bumper sticker, populated, popularized by Felder Rushing. Uh, one I saw recently that uh, I know is not unique and not unique to Fondren, but uh, I just enjoy it. It says, um, going to church makes you a Christian, just like sleeping in a garage makes you a car. You don't become one just by attending, huh? I guess what that's what that means, right? There's something more to becoming a Christian than simply showing up to the building. In many ways, we believe that God wants us to enter into a relationship with Jesus that will make us different, that will transform us, that simply showing up here is not the end goal, that the end goal is that we become something different than what we were the first time we came. The vision that God in Jesus gives us in the sermon that we read here in Luke's sixth chapter is precisely that, a vision for a different way to live, a different way to treat one another, A glimpse, if you will, into the kingdom come. Now, in Matthew's gospel, this sermon takes place on top of a mountain. And we come to call it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Pastor Mike, last week, as we began this little look at the Beatitudes, let us know that Luke's version takes place on the plain. Which makes us wonder, is Luke and Matthew arguing with each other about where this sermon took place? See, for Matthew, mountains are important because mountains are places of revelation. The covenant of God on Mount Sinai. The transfiguration. The Mount of Calvary. For Luke, Luke wants to remind us that God is in the business of taking high places down and lifting up the low places. Luke reminds us of the prophecy of Isaiah, that every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain brought low. Or, Jesus preached this sermon more than once, because every preacher knows when you got a good sermon, you don't just waste it on one time. You preach that sucker over and over until your people get it. And I imagine Jesus knew that a sermon on loving everybody all the time was something that he was going to have to repeat over and over. And so we encounter this story. In any event, both gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, think this is an important message. 
Jesus' sermon is important for us to hear. Now, the thing that I've noticed, though, is that a lot of good Christian folk have a hard time believing that this is true. That we really are supposed to love everybody. Even our enemies, says Jesus. Jesus has the audacity to make the claim that if we want to follow Him into God's kingdom, then we should change the way that we treat other people, change the way we think about other people, and change the way we respond when people are unloving toward us. And I imagine, if you're like me, you have the sneaking suspicion that all this talk about love and forgiveness and mercy sounds nice, but in the practical world, it doesn't really work. And I think that's one of the great failures of the church, at least in America, is we believe that Jesus is our Savior, and therefore that belief is essential into getting into heaven, but we have a harder time accepting Jesus as Lord. Believing in Jesus as Savior gets you into heaven, but believing in Jesus as Lord gets heaven into you. And we're not quite ready for all that yet. Now, if you were here last week, you heard the first part of the sermon on the plain, in which Jesus gives several blessings and several woes. Um, we call this the Beatitudes, the blessings. Things like, blessed are the poor and the hungry and the mournful. And then he says, woe to you who are wealthy and full and laughing. Now, conventional wisdom in Jesus' day taught that if you were poor or hungry or in distress, you were most likely being punished by God for some sin that you committed. So fess up and things will get better. Likewise, if you were prosperous and abundantly fed and happy all the time, it was a sign of God's favor and blessing. Keep up the good work. Now, I know we good modern folk don't believe that, right? I don't know. From time to time, I think we act as if we assume that God must be punishing us if things are going wrong. Or if things are going great, we must be right in line with God. I think what Jesus is reminding us is that we are to be careful to assume that our current physical state has anything to do with whether God is punishing us or rewarding us. In fact, I think he goes one step further. Righteousness in the kingdom of God right relationship with God is measured by a different set of commodities. Not food or money or joy. Righteousness, right relationship with God is measured by things like love and mercy and grace. Now here's the thing. Love in the biblical sense, is not some sort of wishy-washy feeling. For Jesus, love is a set of concrete 
actions. And that's what he describes here. A set of things you are supposed to do as loving people. And he starts with the hard thing first. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer them the other. If anyone steals your coat, give them your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. This is hard stuff. I've noticed in the Bible that it's frustrating that Jesus never commands us to do the easy stuff. Jesus never says, eat that extra dessert. Jesus never says, hey, be nice to people who give you things. No, he commands the hard stuff because he knows it's the stuff we're not going to do on our own. Love is a set of actions, and it looks like this, says Jesus. Do good things for everyone, even those who hate you. Bless everyone, even those who cuss you out. Pray for those who hurt you and refuse to hit back when someone hits you. Give to anyone in need without worrying if they are worthy of your charity. In other words, love unconditionally. Now, I know what you might be thinking because I've been thinking it all week. Don't I have the right to defend myself? Don't I have the right to not suffer abuse? Don't I have the right not to be taken advantage of? Absolutely, you have those rights. But Jesus is not talking about our rights. He's talking about our response. Not do we have the right to strike back, but what is the Christian response? When violence comes to you, offer a blessing, pray for them, and walk away. If you happen to have more than you need, give it away. And meet violence with the most powerful weapon you have. Love. Or, Jesus sums it up this way. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I don't want to. I don't want to treat people that hurt me in ways like that. Bad people don't deserve to be treated well. Or is that just me? I'm frustrated sometimes by how loving and kind Jesus desires me to be when the world is everything but loving and kind. And then Jesus goes from preaching to meddling. Have you ever heard that expression? He says, look guys, if you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love people who love them. If you lend from others and expect to get paid back even more or get borrowed from them, sinners do that all the time. 
But love your enemies. Do good. And let people borrow stuff from you whether or not you think you'll ever get it back. I love that Jesus says, you know what, normal people treat people like this, but be better than normal. Be better than normal. Normal people love people who love them back. Normal people lend to others in hope of getting return on their investment. You people, good Christian people, be better than normal. Live in the kingdom. Live in the kingdom. Now, just in case you thought Jesus was speaking on his own, he says this, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So does that mean that mean people can do anything they want and then get away with it? Does it mean that the church can never make a a moral stand on what is right and what is wrong? Don't judge, don't condemn? I don't know if it means that. But I do know that Jesus is saying you and me are not the judge. There will be judgment. Jesus is clear. But he's just as clear that we're not the jury. We're not the plaintiffs. We're not the bailiff. We're not the prosecutor. We're not the judge. We are the fellow accused who have already heard our sentence has been commuted. How dare we then point to others on the stand and condemn them for what we have already been exonerated for? That's tough. It's tough to know people are wrong and bad and to let them face their own consequences. Because it makes us feel better to point out when someone else is wrong. To judge them for mistakes that we haven't made in over a week. It's again why Jesus makes it a command. Because he knows how easy it is for us to condemn and to judge. Now, again, you might be thinking, all of this sounds nice on paper, Ricky. I'm glad you shared it with me. But look, if I started living that way, people would take so much advantage of me. I've got family members who would run all over me. I've got coworkers who would just steal from me. I've got employees who would just stop coming into work. If I didn't toe the line and let people know when they're wrong, what's Facebook even for? 
this just won't work. And worse than that, Jesus, if we really start living this way, if we really start turning the cheek, if we really start forgiving, if we really start loving unconditionally, not only might we be taken advantage of, Jesus, you, you may not realize it, Jesus, this might get us killed. And that's how you know love is the most powerful weapon. If people are willing to kill people who are too loving. A couple of years ago, I heard a story on the radio. Yes, I am one of those people in their 30s who still listen to the radio. There's a story on This American Life about, the theme was basically when kids, when kids say things that are uh, remarkable. And it was a series of stories of kids telling some really deep truths when they don't even realize it. And there was a story that literally I was listening to this in my car, and when I heard it, I pulled over. It was so powerful. story goes like this. A dad was telling about how one Christmas several years ago, his daughter was four years old. And it was the first time, he says, that his daughter ever asked, what does Christmas mean? He writes this. I explained to her that Christmas was celebrating the birth of Jesus, and she wanted to know more about him. So we went out and bought a kid's Bible and had these readings at night, and she loved him and wanted to know everything about Jesus. So we read in that little Bible about his birth and his teaching, and she would ask constantly, what was that phrase he said? And I would explain to her it was, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we would talk each night about those words and what those words meant. And then one day we were driving past a big church and out front was an enormous cross. And she said, what's that? And I guess I really had never gotten to the end of the story with her. And so I had to sort of explain, well, the ending of the story is that Jesus runs afoul of the Roman government this message that he had was so radical and unnerving that they had to kill him. They came to the conclusion that he would have to die. That message of love was too troublesome. He goes on to write, about a month later after that Christmas, we'd gone through the whole story of what Christmas meant again. It was mid-January, and her preschool celebrates the same holidays as all the local schools, and so Martin Luther King Day was a day off. I took off work that day and took her out to have a play date and to lunch. He says they were sitting there at lunch, and on the table where they happened to sit was the art section of the local newspaper, and there was a big drawing by a 10-year-old kid from the local school of Martin Luther King. His daughter asked, who's that? He said, well, it's Martin Luther King, and that's why you're not in school today. 
We're celebrating his birthday. It's the day that we celebrate his life. And so she asked, well, who was he? And the dad said, well, he was a preacher. And the four-year-old girl says, a preacher for Jesus? And he said, yeah, actually, he was a preacher for Jesus. But there were also other things that he was famous for. He had a message about love. And if you've ever tried to explain to a four-year-old, you know that you're supposed to be very careful about how you phrase things. And so I said, yeah, he was a preacher for Jesus and had a message. So she asked, well, what was his message? He said, his message was that you should treat everybody the same, no matter what you look like. She thought about that for a minute and said, well, isn't that what Jesus said too? To which the dad replies, well, I guess it is. You know, I've never really thought about it, but yeah. It's like Jesus' message, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The little girl thought for a minute, then looked up at her dad and said, did they kill him too? Friends, love is a powerful thing. The command to treat others like we desire to be treated is a tough commandment. To forgive others even when they don't deserve to be forgiven is perhaps the most difficult command Jesus gives us. The truth of the matter is all of us have been forgiven even when we didn't deserve it. All of us have been loved by God who would have every right to turn away from us. And if you doubt that love is the most powerful force in the world, remember that it was love that brought back Jesus from the dead. Let us pray. Oh God, we are grateful that you have loved us even when we have been unlovable. That you have forgiven us even when we have been unforgivable. That you've shown us mercy when we did not deserve it. And so, Lord, we confess that we struggle to do the same thing for others. So help us to lay down our weapons of hate and pick up the weapon of love. Help us to forgive. Help us to bless. Help us to pray for those who have hurt us.
Help us to give out of our abundance. Help us to show mercy. Help us to love. Not to earn your love back, but to show your love forward. That the world might know there is another way to live. A way that leads away from violence and away from death. A way that leads to life and life eternal. And if we can't remember that, Father, help us simply to remember the prayer that Jesus taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.